Good morning, church. Uh, here we are. It is uh, the last Sunday before Christmas, the fourth week of Advent. Joy is in the air. Hope is in the air, and uh, the Holy Spirit is in this place. I just want to take a moment and make sure that we know exactly who it is and what it is that we are uh, celebrating today and in this season. Because uh, the reality is uh, for many of us that it is possible for us to become blind to brilliance. It is possible for us to become desensitized even to magnificence. It's possible for us to become numb to the supernatural. You know, sometimes we can hear a story so often that it becomes rote for us, that we just kind of stop listening to it. And I think for a lot of folks, this is what uh, they've done with the Christmas story. It's like we hear it, we've heard it so many times. We hear the same story so many years in a row. It's like it becomes, uh, you know, it becomes boring or, or something like that. It's like, uh, okay, preacher, you know, we, we get it. Baby, manger, frankincense. Now, please just let us open our presents. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of how this thing works. But uh, let me ask you today, uh, how can we be bored with the idea that in Christ, heaven came down and the word became flesh? How can we be bored when we consider that the same God who created the sun and the moon and the stars sent his only son into our world for our redemption. How can we be bored knowing that 2,000 years ago, the son of God walked on this earth. He breathed the same air we breathe, drank the same water we drink. Unbelievable, sure. Boring, absolutely not. I would argue that if we find the Christmas story boring, the problem's not with the story, uh, it's, it's with us. I mean, the, the, the story, is, the, the problem is not that the story isn't compelling, it's that we've stopped listening. We, for whatever reason, um, we now read the Christmas story uh, with glazed eyes, I think, and hard hearts, God forgive us. It's, uh, it's like we... We see it and we hear it, but we don't really let it in. In uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 12, Jesus was talking about um, some people who were listening to his, his teachings, and he said, you know, not everybody's going to get everything that I say. They're not all going to get it. Uh, he says about some people, he's, he says, they're going to be uh, ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Church, I want you to know... Um, this morning that one of my primary prayers for you this week has been that each of you individually would be people who see and perceive, that you would be a people who hear and understand. I want us to receive the Christmas story this morning with fresh eyes and with open hearts. So let's talk for a moment about what it means to have fresh eyes. These are Jesus' words. This is Matthew 18, verse 1 through 5. This is what Jesus said. I'm going to read it from the message. This is, this is what he said. 
It says, at about the same time, the disciples came to Jesus asking, who gets the highest rank in God's kingdom? For an answer, Jesus called over a child whom he stood in the middle of the room and said, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again, like this child, will rank high in God's kingdom. What's more, when you receive the childlike on my account, it's the same as receiving me. In Japan, they have a, a, a word, uh, a phrase, really a concept called shoshin, S-H-O-S-H-I-N. And uh, for me, that, that concept of shoshin really helps illustrate what Jesus is talking about when he calls us to childlikeness. Because uh, what shoshin means in English, it gets translated to a beginner's mind. It means maintaining. Shoshin means to maintain a beginner's mind. The idea of Shoshin is that no matter how much time or energy you've spent doing something, if you want to be able to maintain joy in that thing, you always have to go back to the moment that it started. So let me, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about there. Let's say you are a really good guitarist. Uh, you love playing the guitar and you've practiced for years. Cody's an excellent guitarist. For Cody to maintain joy in playing the guitar, it's necessary for him oftentimes to think back to what it was like the first time he picked one up, the first time he strummed a chord, the first time he fell in love with that instrument. Or let's say you're a really good basketball player, you know, and you practice all the time and you put the work in. It's necessary for you to go back to that emotion and that feeling of maybe the first time you made a shot, the first time uh, you dribbled, you know, you held the ball. When you feel whatever it was that made you fall in love with the game. I think about uh, Drew and Laura, anybody who does missionary work, you know, it's so easy for people to, uh, to burn out in that kind of work. It's so necessary to go back and remember that initial call, what it felt like the first time you stepped on the soil or encountered the people that you fell in love with and you heard the call of the Holy Spirit saying this is the spot to avoid burnout. We got to have that beginner's mindset. You've got to go back to the start. Same thing's true in relationships. You know, I don't um, counsel uh, I don't do marriage counseling, but I will listen to couples. And, um, and it's amazing how often that you get a couple sitting on the couch, and I think Mark can attest to this too, and they're just irritated with each other. They've been married a long time, and maybe it looks like their marriage is kind of on the ropes. And if you'll just ask them the question, hey, what was it that made you fall in love with her? What was it that made you fall in love with them? And you can see the glut. You can see like the scales fall off their eyes, you know, as they begin. It's like immediate. Once they go back to that beginning moment, there's like immediate tenderness that, that forms. You know, I'll never forget when, uh, when I got saved. I was like 12 or 13 years old. And the pastor of the church that I was going to, his name was Sonny Vincent. And Sonny gave me, a, and he, I think they did this for anybody who accepted Christ, he gave me a New Testament, this little black Bible, and my name was engraved in gold on the front of it. And I love to read now, and I even love to read back then. And so when I got this Bible, I immediately took it home and just started devouring this thing, you know. One of my most vivid childhood memories is going over 
and laying beside my bed between the bed and the wall and kind of hiding in my room with this New Testament and just turning pages in it because I knew if I was there, nobody would know where I was and they'd leave me alone. And so I was just laying there in the floor and I was reading through this. And I mean, like in two or three days, even as a kid, I read all the Gospels, read through most of the the book of Acts, and I was so captivated by Jesus, you know. I... I knew he had saved me, but to sit there and read page by page and to to read about the incarnation, to read about the miracles, to to hear these beautiful, powerful stories he tells, then to see the, the, the acts and works of the cross and the power of the resurrection and the beginning of the early church. I mean, even 30 years later, I don't want to get over it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's it's that to me, it's that powerful. It's still that compelling, that captivating. Now, one of the beautiful things I think about this concept of the beginner's mind and Shoshin is that when you take all of the things that you've experienced, all of the ways that you've matured, all the lessons that you've learned, and then you also mix in that beginner's mind, you go back to why you fell in love with that thing, that's where the magic happens. I mean, that's why, you know, like the best concerts, if you go to a really good concert, it's the best concerts or when you're watching musicians who are incredibly trained, but they still really love it. And you can see it, you can't, you can't fake that. That's when the magic really happens. And I know that when I look at my own life, there's no question that in the last 30 years, there's been a lot of things that have happened. You know, some good things, some bad things, some joy, some pain. I got uh, some knowledge about God that I certainly didn't have back then, but I've also got a lot of scars. And I think for me personally, the the sweet spot in my story is when I can take all the things that I've experienced, all the wisdom that I've garnered about God in, in 30 years, but still maintain the heart of that kid who's laying beside his bed reading the story. Do you understand what I'm saying? To me, that's the sweet spot. I mean, that's when you found it. And I think that's what Christ is calling us to when he calls us to a childlikeness. You know, he's calling us back to that. And that's really what I want to do for you all today. I mean, do you remember? Do you remember what it was like when you first met Jesus? Do you remember what it was like when you first heard the gospel? Do you remember the way you felt when you first felt the Spirit stir in your heart? Do you remember that? Because I'm asking you right now not just to remember it, but I want you to feel it. Because it's in that feeling, it's in that childlikeness, that beginner's mindset that we can combat the cynicism that most of us feel. It's by going back to that spot of first falling in love with Jesus that we can combat that hard-heartedness. It's by going back to having a beginner's mindset that we can combat numbness and disillusionment. But to do that, we have to go back to the beginning can't lose sight of the way that you felt day one when, when you fell in love. Now let's talk about what it means to maintain an open heart. Psalm 24, 7 through 10, David wrote these words. He said, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. 
I imagine that this is one of the songs that David and his men were singing as they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh into uh, Jerusalem. At the very least, I'm thinking that's probably the space when David wrote this psalm. Because you'll remember in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was a, a, a symbol. It was the presence of God. It's where God's presence lied. And so when they're bringing the Ark into this walled city of Jerusalem, I can just hear these men singing and shouting, hey, we're on our way. And what that means is if you got gates, lift them up. If you got doors, open them because you need to prepare the space to welcome the king. The king of glory is here. He's showing up. Now, to me, one of the cool things about that is, you know who else was a king? David was a king. But when he's walking up on this spot, he's not shouting and saying, hey, open the doors. King David's here. That's not what he says. He's saying, lift up the gates, open up the doors, and let the king of glory in. Now, church, I would argue that should be our response even today. When we're talking about Advent and when we're talking about the coming of King Jesus, when he shows up, open your gates up. When he shows up, open the doors up. I told you at the beginning of this thing that I wanted to make sure that we knew exactly who and what it is that we're celebrating today. Well, the who is Jesus and the what is that he came into the world. And our only responsibility in the story, our only, our only responsibility is simply to let him in. To, as the song says, to prepare him room. To make space, to open up our gates our doors, and our hearts to his movement. And that's how I think we maintain, instead of hard hearts, we maintain open hearts. I think the only appropriate way for us to read or hear the Christmas story is with fresh eyes and with open heart. I'm going to invite my son Riggs up now, if he would come up, and he is going to, this is how I'm going to finish my time with you. Uh, Riggy is going to uh, read the Christmas story uh, over you um, from, uh, from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I'm praying that as you hear these words that you will receive them with a beginner's mind and with a tender heart. Come on up, buddy. Y'all say hey to Riggs. If I could get the lights off, that would be great picture will show behind us better. He's here. Everything was ready. The moment God has been waiting for was here at last. God, God was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath as silent as snow falling. He came in, and when no one was looking in the darkness, he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared. Right there in her bedroom, he was Gabriel, and he was the, an angel, a special messenger from heaven. 
When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You'll call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer, the God who flung planets into space and kept them rolling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word that the one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world. But it's too wonderful, Mary said and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful, God? Gabriel asked. So many, so Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I'm God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now Mary and Joseph had to find, had to take a trip to Bethlehem. The town King David was from, but when they reached the little town, they found every room was full, every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. What would they? Where would they stay? Soon, Mary's baby would have come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old tumble-down stable, so they stayed where the cows and donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born. His baby son, Mary and Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animals feeding through as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us, because of course he had. Y'all give Riggy a hand. Fresh eyes, open hearts, beginner's mind, childlikeness. Uh, Merry Christmas, Whitestone. Merry Christmas. <laughs>